So we're starting this series about prayer, which is kind of, I mean, that's probably something you think you'd talk about at, at church. And we're actually, if you go here on Sunday mornings, we're gonna be talking about it in the worship services for the next three weeks and here for three weeks. Our small group's gonna be about it. So at the, at near the end of April, if you're here for all of that, you're gonna be the most prayed up, understanding prayer person that there, there possibly is. A couple years ago, uh, at Collide Camp, and I might've shown you this before. We had a guy named Dennis Rogers. I put his picture up here. He's pound for pound, the strongest man on the planet, but he's, he's little. Like we, we had him booked for Camp Collide and he was coming to share his testimony, tell a story. Uh, and I mean, he has his own Discovery Channel show. For him to travel and speak, like if he came in here to talk at a corporation, it's $10,000 a speaking engagement. Now we didn't pay that. What he does is he says, hey, if you let me tell my story, I'll, my, I'll, I'll charge $2,500. And we were like, okay, we'll have you do that. And he was like, hey, since it's for a youth camp, you just pay me whatever you want to pay me, but, you need to, but I need you to buy me some things. One of the things we bought him was a frying pan. And this guy did this to the frying pan, like just in front of everybody. And so this was not a trick. To, I mean, we bought the frying pan. Like, I mean, it was, you know, we knew it. And so he stands up and he's this little guy. When I see him, it's like, he's, he's like waiting for us and we're about to go in and we've kind of advertised pound for pound, strongest man in the world. And I see him, he's like my size. And I was like, I could take this dude. Like, you know, this is gonna be the biggest disappointment ever. And he gets up there and like this little scrawny, he's like old, little scrawny old bald dude gets up and he's like talking to people, takes a frying pan. Doesn't just bend the frying pan, right? I mean, fold it. He wrapped this sucker around itself. You know, I mean, we're not talking about just like he bent it a little bit. He gets up, he brought a friend of mine up, set him down on a chair, uh, blew up a balloon, put the balloon in between his legs, took a, 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 like a two by four, big piece of wood. And my buddy, Michael, some of y'all might remember Michael Sawyer, he used to be on staff here. Michael got to hold the wood. He still has it in his office. It's, I mean, it's not fake wood, it's a regular piece of sturdy wood. And he puts, the, puts Michael in a chair, balloon between his legs, big piece of wood over him. The dude takes a nail in his bare hand and slams it through the wood and pops the balloon. I'm like, what? I mean, like this little dude then, he gets these two big guys, two like football player guys, like offensive linemen. And, and he gets them and he has this, the, these two triangles and uh, he's holding them and he's holding like the handle and it makes a triangle here with a rope tied to it. And he's got one in this hand, a rope tied to it. And he gets these two football players on either side of him and he puts his arms out straight and he's holding the triangles that have a rope tied to him. And he says, start pulling, go. And these two big guys that push around like defensive linemen and stuff like that, they're pulling as hard as they can. And this little dude is not budging. I mean, his arm's not shaking. I mean, he's just, he's holding, they cannot budge his arms. Then he does this. I am not kidding. Some of y'all really remember. He goes, reaches with one hand, grabs them both and goes, and is holding both of those guys with one arm. And I'm like, that is the guy that I need in my house when I can't get the jelly jar open. Because that, I mean... <laughs> Like I think about him a lot and I'm like, Amanda, you know, and uh, so I'm like that, that guy for me, he personifies the word power. I mean, in a little frame, he is not a big dude at all. And, and we're, tonight we're going to be talking about power some. And when we don't talk about it a lot and maybe think about it, but when you were a little kid, you, you learned how important power is. I mean, we all know how important power is. One, I mean, if we lost power right now, everybody would be screaming, nobody would be listening. You couldn't hear me in the microphone. Power is important. As a little kid, you understand how important power is because power is what makes things move. 
I mean, that's not a Webster's dictionary definition, but that's just my definition. Power makes things move. And you can remember Christmas or your birthday, you have this stack of presents and you open up one and man, you're tearing through it and, and you open it up and, and I don't know what it was, but it was, it was what you had hoped, it was what you'd asked for. You know, and you're like, man, this, this is what I've wanted. And you've got this other stack of presents and you were a little kid, you didn't even care about opening the rest. You wanted to get into this present, whatever it was, and open it, start playing it now, and you start tearing it apart. And that's when you realize that it had the asterisk batteries not included. Remember that moment? I think everybody had one. And you look at mom and dad and you're like, and they're like, oh, we're all, you know, it's, oh, it's D cells. We don't have D cells. And all of a sudden that, that prized possession that you had longed for, that you're excited about is absolutely worthless to you. I mean, it does nothing but sit there because it's absent of what makes it move. In that case, batteries, it's absence of power. So we know power is important. Power matters. You're living that now. Some of you came from home, you're going home and, and you're in a, a power struggle, not batteries, not electricity. You're in a power struggle with your parents and they have power over you. And you, I mean, you learned how important it was when you were a kid and now you're living it and you're going, man, one, one day, one day I'm gonna have power because I live in a home with Hitler and Stalin and they have all the power and I have none and they make you do crazy things. In my home growing up, this is a true story. Some of y'all know, my, both my brothers go here. You can ask them. If in our bathroom, three brothers, we shared a bathroom, not my parents' bathroom, not even really the guest bathroom, kind of off in the house away. If we left the seat up on the toilet, which guys are prone to do, if we left the seat up, my mom would make us as a high schooler, take the little timer, the kitchen timer, I don't even know if y'all have those anymore. We used to have this little thing called an egg timer and you, you turned it to, we had to, she would ground us to the toilet. I'm like, I'm like 15 years old sitting on the toilet with the timer going because I had to sit there for 10 minutes because I didn't put the toilet seat down. And I remember sitting there going, when I have kids one day, one day I'm going to have the power and one day I'm going to be a good parent. I'm not going to do this stupid stuff. Um, my parents are power. I remember thinking, you know, one day. One, and of course, you know, I'm closing the door and I'm like, yah, yah, you know, she can't hear me. And, you know, but, you know, just rebelling against the power. Well, now, I mean, like every day, I'm like, Emerson, go put the toilet seat down. You know, because it's just it's ingrained in me. But there was a time where I learned it as a kid, how important it was. And through those teenage years, when everyone seems to have power but you, I mean, you feel it. Parents telling you this, teachers telling you this, coaches telling you this, and all you have is a little brother, right? You know, that's the only person you have power over. And if you're the youngest, your life just sucks. I mean, that's the way, I mean, that's the way it is. And, so, and then we see, because we understand how, how important power is, learned it as a kid, experienced it. We understand how important it is and how important it is to have it, that when people abuse it, we get angry. We get outraged. You're going to see in the news, it's just, it's broken over the news today. You'll probably even see this picture, this, this story. This is what's been on, on the headlines in South Carolina. This police officer is being tried for murder for shooting a guy and killing him. So what happens is there's two stories. There's the police officer story. He pulls the guy over for a broken taillight, 50 year old guy. Police officer's 33, 50-year-old guy, pulls him over for broken taillight. Don't know what happens, but according to the police officer, this, this gentleman grabs his taser 
And as he tries to tase him, the officer shoots him. And the officer calls in and says, hey, the guy tried to grab my, my taser, uh, shots been fired, uh, gunshot wounds. And that's the story. That's how it's written up. What he didn't know was that somebody was filming it with their cell phone when it happened. And what the cell phone video shows is the guy getting pulled over. Apparently, I don't know if it shows all of this, but it shows a confrontation. And the guy, he's a 50-year-old guy, takes off to run. And I don't know why he's running. And I've always kind of been the one that said, like, if you run from the cops, you know, you get what you get. But if you're 50 and the cop's 33, I mean, the cop's got to at least chase him. I mean, if it's the other way around, okay, you know, but the guy takes off and, and the cop shoots him eight times. And then they, the video shows the cop walking over, raiding right in, and they don't know this for sure or not, but it looks like he pulls something off of his belt, possibly the taser, and throws it down next to the body. Outrage. I mean, this guy, if, I don't, we don't know the details. That's just kind of what the media is reporting. It could be totally wrong. The cop may have been in the right could, and he may be innocent. It's what it looks like. But when you hear that story, a cop shoots someone in the back eight times and then frames him, if that's what, that makes us angry. Now it's gonna make national news because it's also a racial incident because the guy that ran is an African-American, the cop's white. And we've had a lot of that in the news lately. But even if that wasn't the case, people would be outraged because it was a person of power using his power in the wrong way. Because we understand how important it is to have power and to use it wisely. And here's the deal. We're gonna look at a passage of scripture, but before we do, I just want you to understand this. You, you want power. If you're a, a normal average person, you want power. You might even argue that you need power. And here's what you don't understand. You vie for power on a daily basis. You might go, well, I don't. Things happen every day where you are positioning yourselves with groups of people or you're saying things to people, you're talking to your parents, you're going certain places, doing some, certain things and in order to gain power and or influence, those might be the same, but you do it. And it's in small things. For example, let's give you an example of how it could happen. So prom's coming up. You guys that are seniors and maybe some of the other high schoolers are going. Prom's coming up this weekend in Georgetown and Eastview. And, and if you go to a different school, probably sometime soon. And so this, this kind of scenario happens on a regular basis. A teacher says, hey, you're going to have a test in this class on Monday morning. Monday is going to be the test. Or maybe it's after Christmas break, we've got a test. Or after Thanksgiving, or maybe it's just the weekend. After prom, test on Monday. And everybody in the class is like, What? I mean, I, we, this, we can't have this test on Monday because we're, we're at proms on Saturday. We're going to be out all night. Then we've got small groups on Sunday. I don't know why you're laughing. You better be here. I don't care if you went to prom, come dressed up. Oh, that's just sad y'all are laughing. Because um, I'm, I'm going to small groups and, and then I'm going to go to church afterwards and then lunch. How am I going to do my studying for this test? And here's what happens. There's one kid in the class that everybody knows he's the kid that has the best chance of convincing the teacher to move it from Monday to Tuesday, right? His name is Josh Covey, if you're a senior at Eastview. Uh, there's, there, there's the one kid. And so as soon as the teacher says that, where does every eye, every eye, uh, and then they look and everybody starts leaning in. They're like, dude, you got to say something. You know, she, you're like, you make straight, she likes you. I'm, I've, this is the third time I've taken her class. She's not gonna listen to me, you know? And, and there's that one guy, he's got the power, she's got the power and everybody leans in and tries to manipulate that power for their own 
good. Happens all the time in small ways. We're jockeying for power. But here's the crazy thing. We're looking for power, vying for power. And what we forget so often is that we have a connection, especially if you're a, a, a follower of Jesus, we have a connection to the most powerful entity in the universe, God. We have a connection to, to God who has ultimate power of all things. And he's right there looking for a relationship with you and is interested in giving up his power, not necessarily to change your test from a Monday to a Tuesday, but he's interested in exerting his influence and his power in the life of the children that he loves. And so often, like, God's the last person we go to. We try to do everything on our own. And then when all else fails, we're like, well, we better pray about this. And I want us to look at tonight, we're gonna look at two stories that they, they're, they're told at the same time. They're happening simultaneously. And uh, we're gonna see about God's power. Go to the book of Mark. If you don't know where that is, about two thirds through your Bible, you'll get to the New Testament. You also probably have a, a, a table of contents you can use that will help you get there. Go into the book of Mark, chapter five. We're going to read these two stories that are happening simultaneously. If you have you version on your phone, the Bible app, you can find it there. Uh, the collide thing for tonight's in there and just the verses you need are, are listed there. So Matthew, I mean, I'm sorry, Mark chapter five, verse 21. I'm going to read through the story and just stop along the way and, and kind of talk about it. So Mark 21 says this, Mark 5, 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at, his, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well again. So Jesus has been doing some ministry. He gets off and this guy, we, we find out he's a synagogue leader. His name's Jairus. And, and as a synagogue leader, that meant he was a religious leader. And in that day, a religious leader also had some political oomph. So he has some, he's, he's a pastor-esque type person. He's also got some political clout. And we find this guy who's dignified, who everybody would look up to. And he comes running up to Jesus. And it says he fell down. That, that word in the Greek, a lot of times it is used that somebody went prostate, prostrate, not prostate. That's a gland. <laughs> you don't want to go there. Prostrate, falls down flat on his face. Here's this dignified guy flat on his face. And it says he implored, he's begging. He's going, Jesus, please do something. Now we don't know this for sure, but more than likely, Jairus, because of what he did and who he was, was a man of some means. Probably had some money. If he didn't have money, we know for sure because of the way he did, he had connections. He knew people. So here's the guy. And I can tell you what's happened. He's got his 12 year old daughter. She's, he's about to lose her and, and, and he's tried everything. He's spent money. He's taken her to doctors. He's talked to people and connections. And hey, I know a guy that's, you know, over here in this town, you gotta take him. He's done all of those things and nothing's changed. The circumstances haven't changed. And this guy feels broken, scared, and empty. Several years ago, when my eight-year-old Raylan, she was three or so, she was a little girl. She was sitting on the couch and we were all, it was just a normal like Saturday afternoon. And all of a sudden, like, like in an instant, I look over and she is as pale as a sheet. I mean, like a ghost. Like all the blood's around her face and her lips are blue. She's not choking. And uh, I mean, but we don't know what's wrong. And I mean, I, I, we immediately went into like, you know, like full court press, get a doctor on the horn because she's just lethargic and um, and scooped her up. I'm carrying her straight to the car. We go to the doctor and she had like a, a bug or something like that, you know, a little virus and got over it, but it scared us immediately. But I didn't go to the doctor 
I didn't go to Dr. Berg and throw myself on the floor in front of Dr. Berg and go, Dr. Berg, please, please do something. I was rational. I mean, I, I thought through, hey, here's what I'm gonna do. I wasn't to that point, but Jairus is. Jairus already been in the emergency room. He's already been to multiple doctors. He's already tried all the medicines and the daughter's not getting better. And he's afraid his daughter is, he's gonna lose her. And, and, he doesn't, and he falls in front of Jesus and, and he, he's crying out to Jesus because he realizes Jesus is someone that has power. Look at verse 24. I'll go back, up, pick it up, verse 23. He says, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Jesus goes with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Of course they do, because people of those days are just like us. They're looking for a show. They're anticipating some kind of great power is going to happen. Jesus is going to lay his hands on this girl. The doctor's going to heal and she's going to pop. And they want to see it. They want to experience it because people are drawn to moments of power, which isn't going to get really into our message. But as we're talking about power tonight, if you have the opportunity to have Jesus show up in your life on a regular basis and do powerful things in you and through you, you're going to draw a crowd. Yeah, use it for the right things. That's free. You don't have to take notes on that or pay for that. Next verse. Verse 25, so Jesus is headed with Jairus to his home and then another character enters the story, verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. 12 years. 12 years of a disease. She's bleeding. Probably, and we don't know for sure, probably in the way that ladies do. Guys, if you don't understand, that's a conversation for your parents when you get home. But ladies, you get it, 12 years. So I think we can say in verse 26, it says, she had suffered much is understandable. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but grew worse. She heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Now we see this other, this new character. Now here's what we know. Totally different person. One, she's a woman. And ladies, I'm just, this is a cultural thing. It's not a Bible thing. It's not a me thing. In that day and age, we just know that women were not viewed like men were. Women were treated more like property. And so uh, as a woman, she didn't have all of the resources that Jairus did. We also are pretty sure she wasn't somebody important because Jairus, we're given his name. So when Mark wrote this and Peter tells the story to Mark, Jairus was somebody. So Mark's making it clear. Hey, Jairus, y'all have heard of him. This is his daughter. This is just a lady with an issue of blood. Nobody knows who she is. If people went, you know, you know Denise? People went, no, we don't know Denise. Who's that? She's, just, she's a nobody. She's just a regular person but she's lost everything. She's been to all kinds of doctors too. She's broke. She's got no money left. And she's sitting there going, and here's her thought. I've heard about Jesus. If I can just get near him. I mean, like if Jesus walks by and I just kind of lean in and shoulder bump, everything's gonna be okay. That's the kind of faith she has. She's going, if I can, if I can just get close several years ago, as an Atlanta Hawks game, I'm a big Atlanta Hawks fan and having to be there for, um, we actually were there for a mission trip and I'm sitting in the seat which is a long story. I was separated from other students and I was sitting by myself. The Hawks were terrible. I'm in a section and there's literally 
no one else in my entire section. It's me and my own personal security guard that's assigned to that session. That's true. Uh, and, and, I, and I'm sitting there, so I'm on the front row of, of the tunnel. And at halftime, the Hawks start coming off the, off the court. And there's a guy named Josh Smith, who at the time, there's a picture of him. He was, he was one of my favorite players. So we found out how absolutely terrible he was at basketball. But um, at the time, I loved him. And he's walking up the, uh, t- towards the tunnel and he's gonna come like right underneath me. And I'm looking down at something. The next thing I know is I see something fly by my head. And this lady who wasn't in my section, she had just come over like the last minute of the half. She's sitting like four seats down from me. I see her jump up and start to like, like she's like something's happened. And, and so I, all of a sudden I kind of look down and Josh Smith has taken his wristband off and he's thrown it to me and it's landed right by my seat. I didn't catch it because I wasn't looking. And this lady though is like running for it and I pick it up and I'm like, oh my goodness. I have a Josh Smith game-worn wristband. This lady's like trying to take it out of my hand. Um, she almost went over the rail after Josh Smith. And, and I, I mean, I'm like holding it and, and I'm like, this is incredible. It still had Josh Smith's sweat on it. Not ooh, I was like rubbing it on my <laughs> face, like bathing in it, like taking it underneath my shirt and like, cause I was like, this is one of my heroes. You're grossed out. But I'm like, I can say when I used to like him, I had Josh Smith's sweat on me in a, in a not totally weird way. Um, you know, that's kind of what's happening here. This lady who's, who's been bleeding for 12 years, she's thinking, man, if I can, if I can, if Jesus will just perspire on me, you know, if Jesus will look my way and she reaches out as he's walking by in this crowd and she reaches out and she, she touches just the hem, touches a piece of his garment of what he's wearing, his clothes in the middle of this crowd. And immediately, immediately she's healed in such a way that she knows it. She feels the physical transformation in her body. It says immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed from her disease. Now understand this. The scripture is very clear that Jesus is powerful because look what it says in verse 30. It uses that word. And Jesus in this crowd, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, They're like, they're like, seriously, Jesus, you see the crowds pressing around you (laughs) and you you say, who touched me? Everyone has touched you. We've been bumped into everybody. It's like cattle, you know, and Jesus is going, no, 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 somebody touched me. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, healed of your disease. Now, here's what I want you to understand. This passage of scripture in verse 30, where it says, and Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, Jesus felt, I don't know what that was like. I don't know if it looked like anything, but Jesus felt spiritual power, God power, leave his body. And he knew it. Now that word that's used there, power, is a word that that preachers love to talk about. It's a Greek word. The Greek word is dunamis. We get our word dynamite from it. So, Jesus has got power going from it. It's dunamis. We get the word dynamic from it. It's not like Jesus walking by and was like, oh, I touched somebody in there. But I mean, the power of almighty God who created the universe, who, that dwelled in Jesus, leaves him and immediately touches and heals this woman. That's the kind of power we have. Now, here's the thing. And I'm not, I don't want to gross you out. 
And I'm not trying to, I know we talked about the woman with the issue of blood already. Some of the guys are like, I shouldn't have come tonight. Uh, I don't want to gross you out. I want you to understand because there's power in words. In, in verse, when she was healed, in verse 29, it says, and immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she'd been healed from the disease. Talk about power in words. That word, the flow of blood, is the word in the Greek, a fountain. It's a picture of a spring. We're talking about a woman who was in bad, bad shape. She needed dynamic power. She needed somebody coming and praying over her. She didn't need some counseling. She didn't need a doctor. A doctor, she, she needed dynamic, dunamis, dynamite power that only God has. And God supplied it. And he heals her immediately. But we still have Jairus' daughter. Remember him? We're on the way to go see her. She's sick. She's about to die. Here's what happens in verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house, somebody from Jairus' house shows up and said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? She, she didn't make it. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And Peter is the one who tells John Mark this story and it's written in Mark. So Peter's there. Verse 38, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. Which you can understand, this girl's 12 years old. A 12-year-old has just died of this disease and Jesus, who could have done something, shows up to the party late. That's what's happened here. And people, I mean, they're beside themselves because it's a tight-knit community and they're upset. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? That's what he says to the people. The child's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. That word's not, they're like, ah, ha, ha, it's, fine. It's, it's an idea in the Greek. They scorned him, they derided him. It, it wasn't just, oh, oh, that's a funny one. It was like this, it was like, you're an idiot. The doctor left 15 minutes ago. We've been here, you've been off doing something else. You got late, She's sleeping, you haven't even seen her, moron. That, that's what's happening. They're, they're not laughing, ha, ha. They're like, you, look, look at this guy. Who does he think he is sleeping? Get out of here. But he put them all outside, kicks them out the house, took the child's father and mother and those who were with them and went in where the child was. Taking her by his hand, he says to her, Talitha Kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise to this dead body. People are like, what? And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. Two people, one with a fountain of blood, one that's dead. You don't get any more sick than dead. I mean, that, that's kind of it. And Jesus walks in and the dunamis, the power, the dynamite of God heals both of them. One by a girl brushing his clothes and the other one, she's already dead. And Jesus goes, hey, get up. And a dead body comes to life immediately. Not like, oh, I'm just waking up. Immediately pops up and starts walking. And people are like, what just happened? Power of God showed up. We need power in our lives every day. Power to get through a relationship. Power to deal with a home life that may not be what God intended for you. Power in your life to know what the future holds or those things. Some of you just need God to get you through this week. And you've tried every other thing to fill brokenness, to fill emptiness, to fill frustration. Not to be all youth minister on you, but it's true. Some of us have tried drugs, alcohol, sex, relationships. 
all to try to fill the void of power that we're missing. And the God of the universe who has dynamic power is at your disposal. Go, you know what? You've got me. Now, my solution may not look like the solution you have planned, but you've got me. And so here's what you do. Here's the application. Here's the takeaway. The what do I do now that I know this? Let me give you one thing. That's it. Normally I try to give you two or three things to think through and let God speak. One thing. Ask God. Ask God. And James, he's a brother of Jesus, half-brother. James chapter 4, verse 1 through 2. James says this. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? It's a vying for power is what it is. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And he says this, you don't have because you don't ask. You're in a power struggle with people, with your parents, with your future. It's causing all kinds of tension. It's causing all kinds of relational damage. It's causing all kinds of self-doubt for yourself. You've got all of these issues fighting and quarreling and trying to jockey for power and control and influence and to be the boss. And James says, you know why you're doing all that? Because you can't figure out what you need. You got this emptiness because you don't have the power you want. You don't have it because you don't ask. So that's the takeaway. What, what big thing do you need God to show up in? What's happening in your life right now that if God walked by, if you went, you know what? If Jesus came into the room, if I could just brush up against him, I think Jesus could change this. I think Jesus could fill this hole. I think Jesus could meet this need. What is that thing? And, and, and you may not have a big thing. Maybe it's a small, but if you have a big thing, what is that big thing? And why is it that we're trying every other avenue to find satisfaction and try to get that, that big thing, that big need met when the God of the universe who has dynamic dunamis power is going, you don't have because you don't ask. I'll blow your world up. I got power that, that started creation, made the universe with a spoken word. You got that. I, I want to be a part of you. Why is God seventh on our list of people to go to? Now, I want you to understand this. God may not meet your need the way you expect him to. Okay? He may not answer your prayer request like you want him to. So, you know, the person who says, hey, I pray and God does, whatever I pray God is going to do, that person is either foolish or prideful because God is not your servant. But God, but understand this. Again, I talked to Rayleigh, I've got, I got a five-year, I got Emerson. Emerson is like, she's like a sugar crack addict. Like the girl, like on a regular basis is like, only question I get is, can I have sweets? Can I have sweets? Can I have sweets? And she'll sit at the dinner table and go, I'm full. I can't eat anymore. Can I be done? And we go, yeah, you can be done. And she goes, can I have a cookie? I'm like, well, I thought you were full. Like, you know, eat some more chicken nuggets. You know, she, I mean, oh, it's kind of sweets, kind of sweet. Sometimes I say yes. But the girl asks so many times, can I have sweets? There's a lot of times I go, no, no more. Is it because I'm a bad dad? No, it's because I know diabetes sucks. My grandfather had it. I know what it does. I, and so to, to say no now to some self-discipline instead of just having like an IV of sugar, you know, like the child would want, sometimes as a good father, I say no. From her perspective, as a five-year-old, when she goes, daddy, can I have some sweets? And I go, no. She won't say this, but in her mind, I know she's like, that's that Hitler and Stalin guy he was talking about. You know, evil dad. Why can't I have a ninth cookie? You know, 
from her perspective, I'm the bad dad. From my wisdom, from my perspective, I'm doing what's best for and understand this. The need that you have met, that you're going to pray about, that you're going to ask God to, to enter in, that his power to come in your life, the answer may not be answered the way you want it, but God sees things differently. God may not heal because he may want you to learn to rely. God may allow you to suffer because your suffering now accomplishes a future and greater purpose that you can't understand now. And so you might go, God, this, why is this happening? God, this is my need. And Brett said to bring it to you. And if I, if I don't ask, then I can't ask. So God, here it is. And God may remain silent. And you go, what? Well, maybe because God goes, I'd love to answer that. I would love to give you the cookie. I'd love to give you the sweets. I'd love to be that good dad in your mind. But I know that if I say yes now, it changes everything. And you need, me, you need a no now for a yes later. Every adult that's walking with Jesus can point back to times in their life where God said no. And we went, Ugh. and we looked back later and went, thank you, Jesus. You may not answer the way you want, but he wants you to ask. Do I want my daughter to stop asking me for sweets? No. I love her. I love when she comes up and says, I can't always say yes. Not because I don't want to. Start asking. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you another story in one second. Todd's going to come back and we're going to worship the one last song. The guys that took the girls, guys and girls that took the offering, they're going to pass those offering buckets by again. And while that music's going, I want to ask you to just take this card. There's some pins spread out. You might have to pass one down the aisle. I want you to think about What's that big thing? What's that one thing? What's that thing in your life right now that you need the dunamis power for? And I'm gonna ask you to do this. I'm gonna ask you to write it on here. They're gonna pass the offering plate and you just fold it. You're gonna put a name on everything, put it in there. Here's what we're gonna do. I can guarantee you that this week, what you put down, other people are gonna pray for. So don't put your name if you don't want it to be known. You can if you want. Write down that prayer request and the music goes, we're gonna pass it. And we're gonna pray for this week, but here's what I'm gonna ask you to do too. Take this one thing. Maybe you don't pray a lot. Maybe you haven't practiced prayer. There's way more to prayer than just asking God for stuff. We'll get into that later of the series. But for this week, that's all you gotta do. Just ask God. Ask God for that big thing. Ask him every day. Ask him multiple times a day. Write it up on your mirror. Put a note on it. Put an alarm on your phone. Put it in your Bible. Write it down so that you remember and go after God. Say, God, this is the big thing. This is what I need. He may not answer it like you want, but it's gonna build your relationship with him. A couple years ago, this is my last story and then I'll get off the stage. International Justice uh, Mission is, is a group that is working around the world to free slaves and to stop sex trafficking. And they had a, uh, a place in India that they were doing, it's called bonded labor. India practices some other countries do. And what bonded labor is, is what they were doing in India with this, this one group of people is they said, hey, do you need a job? And yeah, we need a job. Okay, we're gonna give you $225. That's what they gave these, these people, $225. And then you come work for us and you, you work that money off. People go, okay, yeah. Because they don't have 225 bucks. That's huge for them. And what happens is these people take these people and they, they moved them a hundred miles away from where they live and put them in a brick factory, making bricks during the day. They were working 14 plus hours a day. They were only allowed to stop to eat. They had to sleep there. They weren't allowed to call their family. If they, did, if they stopped working, they got abused. They got beaten, hit with rods, beaten up. They were, they were slaves is what they were. 
but it was legal because they were paid $225 to come work. Happens in India, happens in another place. International Justice Mission knew that this had happened in this brick factory in India because one of the guys inside the factory had got word out to a brother and the brother got to International Justice Mission and said, hey, can you do something? International Justice Mission went to the people in India they're working with and they said, hey, this is happening. Can we do something? And the, the officials in India said, no, we're not gonna do anything. And the people, International Justice Mission, about a thousand people, friends of the, mission, of the ministry, people that work there, began to pray. They even had a, a night, one night where they all gathered, about a thousand of them for something. I think it was outside, but they, they started praying that God would end this bonded labor. They started praying specifically for India, the places that they knew. And within a month from that all night prayer vigil, the Indian official had said no, came back to them and said, we're gonna do something. And they went in and they raided and they rescued 141 families, 522 people were enslaved. They came back and as they were talking about that and debriefing it, the people at International Justice Mission said this, absolutely convinced there was nothing else to change that official's mind. The official wasn't a believer, nothing. There was no reason to get involved. There was no reason to make a decision to do that. He had said no, it was done. All we did was pray and God began to move. There were some people, I'm sure, that were in that brick factory that were praying for the dunamis of God, the dynamic power. And God showed up. He'll show up for you. But you gotta ask. We're gonna sing. You're gonna write. We're gonna pass. We're gonna take these. We're gonna pray over them. This Sunday morning, we're gonna meet down the hallway and talk about this. You don't get to talk back. You might have some questions about prayer. That's what we're gonna do in small groups and we're gonna debrief this. We're gonna invite you back at 9.30 Sunday morning to do that. But minister team, if you guys will pass that offering and uh, the rest of us, we're gonna sing and worship for one last song.